Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They called me Ben. We are joined with our guest super producer, Max the Freight Train Williams. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Fellow conspiracy realist, it is one of our favorite evenings of the week. This is our weekly listener mail segment. Between all the strange digging we do, we rely on you the most important part of this show to share with your fellow conspiracy realist the things that struck you as important, the things that in your own personal life are the stuff they don't want you to know. We are going to learn about ghost weddings from an exciting email that gives us a chance to talk about something that I think has fascinated many of us for several years. Uh, We're going to get some letters from home from some of our favorite people in the world educators. Uh, We're also going to talk a little bit about the Maldives. And before we do any of that, we are going to hang out with a fellow conspiracy realist and fantastic writer, by the way, G.P. Scooth. Just love the name G.P. Scooth. Yeah, G.P. wrote into us with the subject, Bob Berdella and Bob's Bizarre Bazaar, which is a lovely play on words to, what do you call that? A homonym? I guess they're not quite exactly the same. They're close. I've certainly seen people pronounce uh, bizarre. Homonym. Yeah, there you go. Uh, fun. English. <laughs> um, so here it goes. Gentlemen, I have not bothered you in a while, and this week's episode on serial killers brought back memories of the spring 
of 1988. Um, I was a struggling freelance teacher, lecturer, writer, uh, and overachiever, I might add, uh, trying out any number of new business ventures. One of these, um, which became successful, but after I gave it up, was based in an office space I rented in an executive suite, uh, I'm not going to give the exact address, in Kansas City, Missouri. It's always confused me. The Kansas City isn't in Kansas, but there you go. I located here because of proximity to the professional clients I was trying to attract, even though it was across town and the state line, these were specifically referring to the office space, um, proximity to the professional clients I was trying to attract, even though it was across town and the state line from my home on the suburban Kansas side. When I came to the office one Monday, shared by about a half dozen accountants, insurance agents, and a barter exchange, I was told that over the weekend, one of the guys that hung out there, a regular in the barter exchange, had been arrested. A teenage boy had escaped from this guy's house, naked and beaten up, and the police took Bob Berdella into custody. It later turned out Berdella had killed and dismembered at least six young men, uh, threw the parts away into the garbage, or buried them in his backyard. Berdella had a business at the Westport Flea Market called Bob's Bizarre Bazaar, which he called his personal cabinet of curiosities. Westport would be the Kansas City version of the hipster village, with restaurants, bars, and little shops of all kinds. It lies between the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and the Kansas University Medical Center, a teaching hospital. Plus, is easily reached from downtown or the suburbs for meetings, parties, etc. Inside the Westport Flea Market, where some of the best hamburgers ever were sold, Bob's Bazaar has occult, magic, satanic merchandise, and even real human skeletal remains, although there were always many manufactured body parts as well. In the days of the head shop, uh, this was one where you could purchase rolling papers for your own cigarettes, so I'm told, uh, and even sometimes what were advertised as marital aids or tension-relieving massagers uh, that would fit on a finger. You get the idea. A Spencer's gifts for adults with weirdness thrown in. But in the many times I just had coffee conversations with Bob, he was about as low-key, regular a person as you could get. A bit eccentric, yes, openly gay in the 1980s, which sets him apart, but nothing to give you the vibes that this person with whom I was speaking just happens to have a teenage boy locked in a room and chained to a bed at his home. And the timeline we later worked out told us that had to have been the case. While you guys discussed the mementos from such people, I have always questioned, even to Bob, where did you get the stuff for your inventory? Who just sells human hands? Is there a big demand for human skulls? And some of his were real. Uh, the strangest part to me has always been that no one suspected anything about Bob uh, that would have led you to believe he was killing, dismembering, and disposing of people. The typical quiet guy next door, I guess, but still odd to have a brief period of your life where you were in frequent contact and on a first-name basis with a serial killer. You know me as G.P. Scooth. Mm, yikes. Keep at it. Thank you, G.P. That's a tale. G.P. My goodness. That must have been chilling to discover. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I'm looking at a business card here from allthatsinteresting.com. And it quotes his company as Bob's Bazaar Bizarre. So, like, mm -hmm. describing the bazaar after. Mm -hmm. Okay, clever. Well, you don't have to... Look, you can be a monster and still understand the importance of wordplay. 
That's very true. <laughs> that is very true, Ben. Um, I mean, you know, this just sounds like the perfect fodder for murder fiction type stuff. Because, you know, of course, like the twist is that the thing that you bought from the, you know, the shrunken head or, you know, withered hand actually belonged to one of his victims. That's, of course, where your mind goes. And I don't know. Did you guys read any further into this? Was there ever any indication that he did put his trophies in his shop? Uh, unclear. I, I think because of the timeline at that point, you would have like in the 1980s, if you are actively operating the way this guy was, then you would have hopefully had some lessons learned from, um, from previous experiences of people who got popped for doing this sort of stuff. However, uh, what was he called? The Kansas city butcher, right? Uh, he clearly wasn't very clever. Most of them aren't. Uh, I think he was just throwing people away in gar or throwing human remains, excuse me, away in garbage bags. Uh, it reminds me, God, it just reminds me of, of, of so many other serial killers. To your question, or GP, what you're talking about, what you're talking about here, Noel, um, what we're exploring together here is the idea of serial killer merchandising. That's part of it, right? The, that big question you pose, did this individual attempt to profit off of the results of their mental illness, right? And, it's, um, and that's, I mean, that's a good question because H.H. H. Holmes was killing people because he liked it, but he was also killing people for insurance money. You know what I mean? You run into, you run into that simultaneous. Um, I, I don't know if it's a rationalization or if it's a simultaneous benefit in their minds. I don't know. There's a lot to be said about this guy, and I also appreciate JP for pointing out it's at least six young men, because as we know, unfortunately, very often in the U.S. and abroad, when the victims of creatures like this, when they are sociologically marginalized, then the law enforcement just doesn't doesn't seem to do their due diligence. So for that that's part of why people killing, you know, folks who are considered African American or folks who are considered homosexual, that's part of why those uh those entities have a higher likelihood of getting away from justice for a longer amount of time. It, it does appear that, you know, he was into S&M type stuff and that he did have people participating in some of these activities, you know, willingly. Mm -hmm. um, I think there were uh, upwards of 20 photographs discovered um, of folks in various stages of, of this type of, you know, stuff, um, dog collars and, you know, things like that. And um, I think it was almost all of the victims, I believe, were were among those photographs. Um, and the, you know, GP mentioned the person that was found naked. Uh, it was naked except for a dog collar. Um, and apparently this uh, creature, as you very appropriately put it, Ben, um, had this something called rules of the house that mm -hmm. were rules that were mandatory for anyone that he was doing this stuff with and that any, you know, non uh, adherence to these rules would result in electric shocks being administered to their private areas. Um, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like David Parker Ray 
um, also known as the toy box killer. The mm-hmm. uh, for entities like this, what you do is you construct you construct a regimen of rules and make it such that there is no way those rules cannot be in some way, quote unquote, broken. broken. And then, right, because it's not about the rules. It's about um, an opportunity to feel that one controls and punishes people. It's um, it's very unclean thing. No, it's, 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 it's really, really awful. Um, Matt, you've gone deep with, you know, the Zodiac killer and land of child murders and all of this stuff. And I was having a conversation with my partner the other day just about whether these types of conditions are medical in nature um, or whether these types of conditions are, these are just bad people, you know? I mean, obviously you can be uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia, but that's a psychiatric diagnosis. Like it's usually only post-mortem that, you know, aberrances in the brain can be detected. Do you have any thoughts on that, Matt? Like from any of the, the dives that you've done, like whether these are just people that are just bad or can they be cured? Is that even something that should be, invested in like what i don't know i mean maybe that's too big a question and obviously is the question but i'm just interested in in your perspective on that i'm no expert man the people we've talked to uh have differing opinions but a lot of the investigators on the law enforcement side especially from the fbi tend to have a pretty stark look at it like this is a bad person but generally this person was made bad through experience life experience right through a lot of things they've been through um, generally not this person was created evil from the womb kind of concept. Often traumatic brain injury early in childhood. Mm, or or point. traumatic brain injury really any time, which is kind mm. of crazy. Like it can, mm. that kind of thing can adjust somebody in not so great ways. Uh, Shout remove, out Phineas Gage. Yeah, you know, for sure. Remove mm-hmm. filters that are there that kind of internally bind our behavior. Give us these rules that generally aren't broken out of fear of what what it means to break one of those rules you get a brain injury and that can go away depending on where it is um i don't i don't know man no that's a really good point matt and that's that that i think that's a very valid uh, perspective for sure um I was listening to a podcast that I really quite enjoy. It's called With Gourley and Rust with Matt Gourley and Paul Rust. And they talk about different horror movies. And they were talking about the movie Seven, um, which, you know, I think in a lot of ways, movies like Silence of the Lambs and Seven sort of led to this whole like genius serial killer kind of, you know, craze or whatever. And they just pointed out, I think very astutely, that that's not a thing. Like, there's nobody that would be that twisted that would do something like what John Doe does in Seven, these very elaborate, or like, you know, Jigsaw, but Seven's just obviously a higher quality It's interesting that you mention that because uh, I believe it was Berdella, right? Berdella watched The Collector, that film from the 60s. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I don't know that one, no. Yeah, he he watched a film that came out in the mid-60s called The Collector, which is about a guy who stalks and kidnaps a lady and feels like he is, you know, practicing lepidoptery, like the collection of butterflies or mm. something where you pin them against, you know, a, a backdrop. Uh, and this was sort of an inspiration. So I think, and GP, maybe you will find this interesting, uh, there's a question that I have not quite solved yet about the possible feedback loop 
Uh, you know, why does the why does the serial murderer in the United States why does it hold such a unique position in the zeitgeist? And to what degree do films that appear to glorify one of these people, right? To your point, Noel, the uh, the <laughs> largely fictitious idea of the intelligent serial murderer, a la Hannibal in or Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. Um, to what degree is that sort of fiction perhaps informing the actions of the mentally ill? And that's a slippery slope because then, you know, I, I think it's too close intellectually speaking or philosophically speaking to the idea that listening to quote unquote, the wrong music makes, makes someone violate moral taboos I or social taboos, excuse me, socioeconomic taboos as well. It is true though. It is objectively true that Berdella watched this film and talked about it. Uh, he also had some of the things that you're clocking as well, Matt. There, there are other two killers. Sorry, this I was trying to figure out why the collector like pinged something for me. Right. It was a, another project that we were working on for a time, uh, Leonard Lake and Charles Ng, that yes. also committed a bunch of brutal murders that involved mm. kidnapping people, uh, and they were also allegedly inspired by the collector. That is fascinating, that that feedback loop idea. But you're right, Ben, it, it can be the slippery slope when it comes to just like blaming the art and censoring it as a result of what I think would largely be some pretty rare outliers who actually, you know, are. And, and you know, whether he chose to act out because of that in a certain way, he probably would have acted out in some other way without said inspiration. But um, back to what Gorley and Russ said, and then we'll take a break. Um, they just pointed out that the reality of it, and this is what you were pointing to as well, Ben, is that anyone that's mentally ill enough or, you know, has some fetishistic drive enough to do something like the seven murders, there's no way they'd be able to pull it off <laughs> to the, with the degree of accuracy that happens in that film. So it is largely, but, but also David Fincher, who directed seven said that he almost felt guilty about introducing this glorified version of the genius serial killer into the world, which is largely why he made Mindhunter that depicts the killers as mainly perverts and degenerates, you know? So he, he did kind of say that was almost his way of feeling as though he were writing a wrong, even though I think seven is an excellent film, but um, thank you so much GP Scooth. Um, and we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back with some more messages from you. Hey girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of the girlfriends in season one. We told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. 
What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like our recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends, we're just each other's pulse. I mean, it's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have returned. We've got a couple here. There's something uh, that we started a little while back that I quite like, which is just letters from home. We look for nice stuff. We dive into many dark and troubling things. Uh, We often find a grain of truth at the heart of a conspiracy. But also, we like to hear the nice things. So we're going to give you a weird story from our pal Proximate Cause. Oh, let me speak this in all caps from our pal Proximate Cause, uh, who uh, wants to share an experience that I think will be instructive for a lot of us playing along at home tonight. And then we're going to hear one nice letter from home before we go to the ad break. So here we go from Proximate Cause. PC says, I was reminded by the most recent strange news segment in relation to China-India relations and the line of ultimate control of something I saw while in the Maldives or Maldives. More than a year ago, says Proximate Cause, I went to the Maldives as a tourist. From the shore of the first island I visited that was not the capital, I saw a man piloting a boat or captaining uh, who was wearing a red shirt with big black text on it, which read India out now. Being an avid Googler, I took to my phone to see just what this was about. And it turns out there are some residents of the Maldives who consider India to be somewhat of a threat to their sovereignty to a greater or lesser degree. While there is some official chatter about there being no actual threat, I kind of wonder, in a country where apostasy is punishable by death and having some experience living in China, I don't think that for my short touristy trip, it was a good idea to get too deep into local politics in a way that might seem impolite, 
coming from a foreigner. You're right about that, my friend, uh, especially being a foreigner from a country with a strong interventionist history. Maybe I'm just overly cautious. I'm editorializing here. You are not. You are on the money. Uh, so PC continues and says, I've heard and read several accounts from Filipinos regarding the behavior of Chinese nationals in the Philippines, some of which were more high profile than others. The general gist of which tended to be, what do you mean that's illegal here? Isn't this ours? And those have fueled some conspiracies related to the elections of various officials. And so Proximate Cause says, while I recognize the Maldives may not be the same kind of strategic location in relation to India that the Philippines is to China, if I were a betting man, I'd say Sri Lanka would be a more likely option. Does this change anything? Much like Azerbaijan and Armenia now, because there's more value in backing Azerbaijan, the larger regional powers around them have turned a blind eye to what's happening in Armenia. And that's true. Uh, would there be any strong response from the West or other large Asian governments? I think, I think PC means if something sideways happened to the Maldives. PC says, I doubt many Americans outside of the influencer crowd could even point to this country on a map, much less make a full-bodied vocal defense of an Islamic country, even if our relationship with India turned that sour. There's just too much nuance required. Could this be the beginnings of another regional proxy war? I have no idea, but I feel as if it may be something to watch when the region starts to pop off even more. I could see China coming to the Maldives in the same way the U.S. supports the Philippines. So that's a good question. Uh, one thing I think most Westerners know about this nation, about the Maldives or Maldives, however you would like to pronounce it, Malay, it is probably going to be the first nation whose land totally disappears due to the rise of the oceans. Did you guys hear about this part? I have not heard about it yet, no. Yeah, they're going to, um, unfortunately, due to the rising surface level of the oceans, the Maldives may indeed become a place that exists in a different country like a enclave of some sort. They're about like, if you, if you look at it, they're in the Indian ocean. So see the very bottom of India and there to the Southeast of India, there's Sri Lanka. If you go to the Southwest and you go further out into the ocean, then you see this country, the highest, the highest elevation above sea level. There is like a little under eight feet. It's, not looking good, in short. And the question that's being asked here, which I very much appreciate, is it's kind of following up to what uh, we were talking about earlier, the idea that India and China may be practicing their own expansionist methods, uh, and the idea that both of these countries may be attempting to turn this other smaller country into what's called a vassal state. Yeah, it's certainly in a good strategic place i mean far enough from the the south china sea and some of the you know some of the stuff that's being done out there in protecting that area right uh, by china because you got the whole bay of bengal and the gulf of thailand in between mm. but um i don't know we just talked about how india is a strategic country for the west right now right mm -hmm. and yeah. having like naval bases there would be interesting but again it's like 
what's the what's the long term strategy for any country with the Maldives when it comes to ocean rise, like you said, because there's not that much time, probably. And they're like the country is aware of it. Officials in the country are aware of it. It's a it's a dangerous situation for them. So then what do you you know, what do you do when some military comes rolling through and says, hey, we want to invest a bunch of money in your country. All you got to do is let us turn one of these islands into a giant base. Just the one. <laughs> Just, Just one. the one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the one you're not using. <laughs> so like the there's also uh, I, I appreciate you pointing this out, Matt. Uh, there's also a clear, easy Controlling this little piece, it gives you a clear and easy transit point to all sorts of stuff like uh, Eastern Africa. You got that, you know, you could you're way closer to the Strait of Hormuz. Uh, there's also a, a very powerful argument that the nation of China needs to like like Russia. It needs to extend its ocean access past what it has now. You know, mm -hmm. uh, things would be very different. If Russia had a, a little bit better maritime access to the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm fascinated too by this acknowledgement of Islamophobia. I guess we know that plays a part in Western political calculus, right? Yeah. I don't know. Is it weird to you guys how much that has cooled off since, you know, 2001, well, 2002? Openly. I mean, you know. Well, in in talking points, right? I mean, we're going through a presidential true. election true. here right now. And, well, I mean, well, okay, this is full disclosure. I'm not exactly listening to any presidential debates. No, no. Because I could give up what Ooh, anybody I'm says on those. That, just, <laughs> that last one was amazing, though. Just watch the clip shows. I keep going to bad lip reading on yeah. YouTube just waiting. to see if they've yeah, got a banger. Yeah, yeah. I'm just waiting. But it was really... Um, the most recent one that occurred, the primary uh, here in the U.S., the primary debate was kind of embarrassing. Okay. I guess it just feels like the dog whistles now are more for like other stuff like trans people and mm -hmm. queer people. You know, that's sort of become the new uh, threat at home. You know, we haven't really had any high profile, quote unquote, terrorist attacks for them to point to. I don't know. It seems like if, if there were if there if that were the case. They certainly would not shy away from using that. But you're right. I didn't think about that. It certainly has, quote unquote, cooled down, at least in the rhetoric. I mean, that's a really important part. That's something that we should all keep an eye on as we go forward here, because what you're seeing, if you if you don't try to go outside of your information bubble, right, and you live in the Anglosphere, what you are probably going to see is news that an algorithm has determined you will care about. And that's a hell of a catch-22, and it is not good for you as a person or an entity. It's not good for you as a citizen of the world. Right now, there's a ton of stuff that's happening out there, and it is in the collective best interest to know about it. To the point about Islamophobia, it's always going to be a part of the West, right? And, and that's simply because people are sort of shitty at times. And I don't mean they're necessarily bad people. They just like having an in-group and an out-group. And that's sort of a, that's like a cognitive hardware defect. However, we have to realize that the vast majority of people living on the planet right now are super, super similar to you hearing this. 
They just, they want a good job. You know what I mean? They don't want to be rushed when they have to poop. They like feeling like they're funny. <laughs> you know, they want their kids to have a good life. They, they have like, they have certain concerns about their lives that might seem little to the world entire, but they're very big to them. And if civilization together can just agree on those basic things in a non-zero-sum equation, the world will be better off. And you don't have to have all this geopolitical pissing on fire hydrants because ultimately it benefits very, very few people. Uh, With that, let me retreat off the soapbox. We promised you a letter from home. This is quickly becoming uh, one one of the favorite parts of the evening. We got a letter by someone, this is so great, you guys. We got a letter by someone calling themselves outnumbered by sixth graders. And this is just a nice thing uh, to us uh, playing along at home, recording here this evening. Hey guys, says outnumbered, I'm a public school teacher in Arizona. I just got done listening to the public schools factory episode. I just wanted to say thank you for managing to point out all of the problems with the education system without disparaging teachers. We, teachers, know the system is problematic, and we're all working hard to change it, but many of us already know that the info in your episode was true. Walking that line of respect for what we do while pointing out problems is not always easy, but you did an amazing job. Thank you. Feel free to share if you choose to do so. Um, and thank you, Outnumbered, because as as you know, Matt, Noel, and, and yours truly, we're all, we come from teachers, you know, we come from educators. And I, w- I would argue, <laughs> I would argue that every adult person comes from education, right? Like that's part of why humans are such popular primates. Because we teach each other things and then we write it down, right? Mm-hmm. Make videos about it and TikTok the heck out of it. No, geez. Yeah. Well, anyway, I wanted to end on that nice one because we made the world sound terrifying, which it is. (laughs) But but, uh, shout out to the teachers and thank you to everyone who tuned in to our public education episode. There are some serious intergenerational issues with the system, at least as it stands in the United States. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor and we'll return with one more message from you. And no spoilers, folks. It's a good one. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like our recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends, we're just each other's pulse. I mean, it's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we've returned. Uh, guys, during that Maldives section, I was just looking all around Google Earth, which is what I do whenever we talk about a place that I don't know a ton about. And I found somewhere I want us to go. Brunei? It's called Ascension Island. Yes! Yes! It's in one of my favorite books, Matt. Uh, Judah Shalansky. Oh, God. Every time really? I mention the book, uh, it screws things up, whatever. But one of my favorite books in the world is called The Atlas of Remote Islands. Ascension Island is an entry in The Atlas of Remote Islands by Judith Shalansky. Check out the book if you can. It's really cool looking. I want to go to the Volcano Club and Snack Bar on the island. I love it. Someone's like, I don't know. You can find volcanoes anywhere. And then someone else comes up and says, there's also a snack bar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's inside the volcano. I don't know. It looks yeah. nuts. This place looks nuts. It's in the middle. Gosh, so cool. It's like just right in the middle of Africa and South America. Okay. 800 people live there. Dude, somebody in the RAF is listening right now and write to us. Let us know because you got a base <laughs> over there. All right. Um, so we are getting a message here from someone we're all familiar with, I'm assuming. Someone that writes to us all the time, Mr. Lucas. Lucas says, so here's some more body broker kind of stuff for you, but a bit darker. Apparently, this is a thing. Women's dead bodies are sold to families burying their unmarried son. This gets more sinister when people begin to start murdering women than selling them. Uh, what is this thing? Well, it is. it can be a lot of things. Posthumous marriage. Ghost marriage, you could call it. There are other words for it in varying uh, like religions and cultural sects. But 
We're talking ghost weddings, and Lucas sends us a couple of different links and a bit of information from Wikipedia that we're not going to read in full, Lucas. We'll talk about it and around it. So let's just go to some of the news links that were sent to us. One of them comes from the BBC. Its title is China's Ghost Weddings and Why They Can Be Deadly. This was written in August 2016 by Grace Soy, uh, T-S-O-I. And guys, it's a story about some people who were murdering women and then selling their corpses to willing, needy families who believed they were buying a recently deceased person to be wed in a traditional ceremony to a loved one who has just died. I've never heard of this before. This is kind of blowing my mind. Ben, it sounds uh, off air like you've heard of this and know a bit about it. What can you tell us about the tradition of, of what, we're, what we're calling ghost wedding, but it's really after death marriage ceremonies? Yeah, I think you nailed it, Matt. Um, posthumous matrimony. Okay. Call it right. Um, the idea, and it goes across cultures. I really appreciate that point. Um, part of it is, part of it is the idea that a spirit will be angry or will be left bereft of uh, what could have been their lived existence if they pass away without being married. Is that what yeah. You okay. Yeah, and then also you'll see. I think it's in Korea. It happens where. Um, if someone was engaged and they die, there's still a posthumous ceremony oh, to wow. follow through. Uh, but before we get to you know the really dark, macabre side of it, it's important for us to know that traditionally in these cultures, this is seen as a good thing. You know, like Dia de mm-hmm. la Muerta in Mexico. It's not seen as some sort of like, oh, horrible, spooky dooky thing. It's seen as um, another cycle in life and death. Uh, They are legally binding. And sometimes both people who get married this way, they're both dead. Wow. Which goes into like financial calculations because you can't get away from, you know, the idea of dowry and stuff like that. That's my oh, wow. understanding. Didn't even think of the logistics of that part of it. That's interesting. I know it's it was it has been used this practice has been used very functionally throughout history in a couple of different places. Just read a little bit via the wiki, go down, look at the links, the sightings and everything and then start so going like Sudan jumping and all that. Yeah. Uh yeah, so this is a weird situation to talk about, but in Germany when let's say a soldier who has a a partner at home, but they're not married yet, right? They are sexually active. The uh, the woman in that relationship gets pregnant. The man goes off to war and dies. Now, that woman is going to have a baby, but she's unwed, and she's going to be considered an unwed mother. I'm doing that in quotes, right? Because there's there's cultural connotation to that. Which could lead to being ostracized and treated in a negative manner, you know, for sure. Exactly. So there were some examples where the actual corpse of a dead soldier was brought in and a wedding ceremony was performed to wed that woman to this dead person, just so that that child would take the father's name and it would be okay to everybody else, basically, in the society. 
Matt, have you gotten to the why they can be deadly part? No, let's talk about it. I don't know. I just saw it in the headline. It's pretty, pretty eye catching. It just says China's ghost weddings and why they can be deadly. Oh, yes. Okay. So, so yes, just like Lucas said, he's, he's like referring or he's like, this is an offshoot of our body brokers episode, right? Because if there's a black market for something, if there's something that's sellable, uh, you, someone might want to take advantage of that and maybe is a little less morally inclined than others, right? So uh, this article is citing, I think it was, there are a couple things that have occurred. One that we mentioned earlier is that there was, uh, in one case, a woman found like a dead woman found in a vehicle. And after investigation, three of the males who were still living, who were in the vehicle, they got questioned. And basically one of them admitted to killing this woman in order to sell her dead body to a needy family that Jeez. which is different from um, related practices. There, there have also been operators that would count as what we would call resurrection men, grave robbers. Yeah. And in, in 2015, according to this uh, BBC article, uh, 14 female corpses were stolen in a village in Shangxi province. Yep. Um, and, and this article refus- refers to them as tomb raiders, which I always thought it was really cool and like adventure-y, but not, not not in this context. You know, I just think of Laura Croft, uh, obviously, and her polygons. But no, tomb raiding or grave robbing, I guess, is maybe the term we would use over here. And yeah, resurrection men, that older term is still just uh, such a captures the imagination. Well, and uh, again, it's kind of messed up because it could be pretty lucrative for those grave robbers, right? They, I mean, at least in this BBC article, it cites like quite a bit of money. It, I don't even know if we can really quote it well, because I don't know if they're saying it would be 4,500 US dollars to 7,500 US dollars for all 14 corpses, or if that means per corpse that was recovered of those 14, just, I'm not sure. Um, but it does seem as though if you could make that much money for a lot of like messed up hard labor if you're desperate enough maybe you would be pushed to do that right or you would feel pushed to do that Mm -hmm. and this article does state that in 2006 the sale quote the sale of corpses was outlawed uh but that hasn't according to the bbc stopped grave robbers yeah isn't that cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) go Um, team uh let's see there's other stuff here there was an article from daily mail that was also left to us by Lucas here. And this is about a quote, ghost bride, a a supposed corpse that was delivered to a family to be married to their dead son. So again, this is a situation where both parties in the marriage would already be deceased. But upon receiving the woman and starting the ceremony, the woman woke up and was alive. What? Yes. Um, She have one of those like Romeo and Juliet drugs. What what are we talking here? That's crazy. I don't have the full details. They're saying only some details have come to light. And this was written in 2016, December by Julian Luck for mail daily mail. And uh, this person was allegedly a deaf mute who was trafficked. Okay. Because I know there have been cases where women were drugged, purposely sedated and then sold as ghost brides. Oh, wow. That is, that's evil. That's crazy, but it's even more heinous because you're killing a person as when they get buried, I suppose. 
Mm-hmm. Matt, sorry if I missed this. Um, is there a sense in any of the, the religious side of these that it also ensures that their loved one will have like companionship in the afterlife? To my knowledge, yes. That's one of the primary reasons why this practice would occur so that the, the person is not alone, basically. But again, yeah, it depends on religious belief. Yeah, the, like for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, in, yeah. especially in, in what we would call rural China today, the idea is that, you know, death is scary and you don't want to go alone. So you'll have, you'll have someone with you uh, in the afterlife. Unfortunately, um, unfortunately, this has provided an opportunity for some unclean activities. And I, I think it's also important to note that a lot of these folks, like the folks doing the trafficking and stuff like that, they're getting the majority of the, of the campfire headlines because it's a very scary, disturbing thing. And it's a true thing. But often these are kind of conversations people are having and maybe both families involved have lost a child you know what i mean and they're they're sort of helping themselves deal with this uh tremendous unspeakable tragedy so i do think it's important to say this practice is like when you're hearing about the the very bad criminal stuff this is not representative of the entirety of again this ancient cultural practice oh of course and it has nothing to do with why the practice occurs, right? The illegal stuff is because people see an opportunity to make money and they don't care, I guess. Ugh. Ay, 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 ay. Um, I don't know what else to say about this, guys. This is a brand new thing to me. I, I it, Same, man. This is fascinating. I mean, truly. I'm surprised there hasn't been like, this hasn't appeared in pop culture. You know what I mean? This seems like just the kind of thing that could be another kind of interesting twist in a story or like build building a, a, a ghost story from this, you know, there's a great novel uh, called, Oh gosh, I think it might be called the ghost bride. It is called the ghost bride. It okay. was 2013. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this hasn't been adapted into a movie. I only watch movies and I don't know for books. I thought so. that was the corpse bride. Maybe it's maybe. I'm wrong. <laughs> well, there's the corpse bride. Then there's the ghost bride. Got uh, it. The ghost bride. I, think was an Oprah book. You know how that time Oprah got bigger than the New York Times for bestsellers? Hey, uh, she still does pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. book club. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. And uh, I think there's a Netflix series that I have not watched in full disclosure called The Ghost Bride, which is an adaptation of that. So this strikes me as something like Chan Wook Park might do, you know, the old boy director. He's just, there's something about it that's just delightfully macabre and I could see it being handled by an auteur in a very interesting way, but also delightful in some ways when it's not done where it hurts people. You know, there are some people that were commenting on this in some of the articles that you found, uh, Matt, that say it is a affirmation of, of love, you know, and things like that. So uh, I think if it's done above board and it is something that gives people some sense of peace or some sense of wholeness, you know, for their loved ones, then why not? Right. As long as it's not hurting anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, by the way, Matt, last thing, I just learned the word for this. God, English is weird. The word for posthumous marriage in English is necrogamy, like monogamy. <sighs> That's awesome. Necrogamy? necrogamy? That's how I would say it. Necrogamy. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. You know what? Hopefully, hopefully all of us listening to tonight are not in a situation where we need to continually use that word. 
You know what I mean? Wishing you the best, folks. Can I ask a question, guys? This is a little off topic. Why is philia always only associated with horrible things? Doesn't it just mean like love a, a, of. A, a, the love of? But why do we only hear it when it comes to like really bad, bad things that people do? Hmm. I think it goes back to the idea of amative versus amorous love. Because, like, you know, you can be an audiophile, but no one would ever mm. call you an audiophiliac. I mean, just, yeah, I don't know. Again, mm-hmm. English, weird. Yeah, like a bibliophiliac sounds like you're you're sleeping with those books. You're doing stuff with those folds, with those pages. Yeah. <laughs> Again, just- I'm telling you, it's uh, I, I feel like I have at best a rudimentary understanding of the language in which we're recording this podcast. There's always a new one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the paper cuts, you know? Oh, oh. yeah. No, you I haven't thought about the paper cuts. <laughs> you don't do it that direction. <laughs> yeah, man, you got to go with the grain. What's going on with you? <laughs> All right, so on that note, Matt, uh, <laughs> Matt and Lucas, what's the final say on, on ghost marriage, posthumous marriage, necrogamy, uh, necrogamy, however we would say it? What? What's your takeaway for this? Yeah, Lucas, what's your takeaway? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think I put in my two cents, Matt. Um, I don't know. I, th- I th- It's fascinating to me. I see the functionality of it when it comes to some cultural mores, um, literally for taxes, for things mm-hmm. like inheritance and, sure. you know, a bloodline. Even if it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even if it's not uh, an actual bloodline, it's maybe a child that becomes a part of that family because of this ceremony. I can see why that would be desirable. And there's no divorce. Yeah. <sighs> well, I think we can probably all agree that the, the, ba- the bad part of the story is obviously the folks who are taking advantage of this practice, yeah. who are not people who are believers. I would argue they are the opposite. They are, you know, um, absolutely taking advantage of people's faith in the same way that, you know, Body brokers or people that like run crematoriums or they just dump the, the bodies in the backyard or in communal piles or whatever, things like that, where you're literally taking advantage of someone who's either in mourning or who has a deeply held spiritual belief. I think that is fundamentally icky to the mm. maximum. Mm. Yep. Yeah. There's an article from The Guardian you can look up if you wish titled Trio Stole Corpse to Sell as Bride, say Chinese Media. It's written by the AP in Beijing, and it's from October 2015. And Minghun, as it's called in China, again, as, as we took pains to say, is, is not in any way an inherently sinister thing, nor, nor is, are similar practices inherently sinister wherever, um, wherever they occur. Uh, I guess we could say, you know, the course of true love never did run smooth and maybe end on some Shakespeare. Uh, so <laughs> with that, we, we've got to thank everybody who wrote in, everybody who took time to contact us and cut past the noise of the internet. Uh, shout out to, again, our guest super producer, Max Williams, who you can, you can find blowing us up on our messaging thread right now. He's a big fan of Bad Lip Reading. Uh, he's also a big fan of... You guys are fellow conspiracy realists, so we do hope that you join us. We do hope that you become a part of the show and come on air with us one day 
by hook or by crook. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us all over the place, right? You can. You can find us at the Handle Conspiracy Stuff, where we exist on Facebook, YouTube, and uh, uh, formerly known as Twitter. Um, Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and TikTok. Hey, do you like to talk to people via your phone? You can talk to us. We have a voicemail system called 1-833-STDWYTK. Call in, tell us something really nice, or tell us to bite your scab, blowhole. I don't know what that means, Noel. That's from Pete and Pete. That's oh, a famous yeah. uh, right, Pete right. insult. Yeah. Because right. there's also the, the, the colon and the um, capital P, which I think means... <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, the way I typed it, it must appear that I was referring to a scabby blowhole. The scab is one thing that you're asking the person who you are calling a blowhole to bite. Yeah. yeah, yuck, Pete. That was on children's Pete. television, man. That was Jeez. on children's television. <laughs> All right, well, um, yeah, but you can call us and just say whatever you want. Uh, do let us know if we can use your name and message on the air in one of our listener mail episodes. If you don't want to do that, you want to send us links, a whole story, pictures, whatever. Why not instead send us a good old fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.